Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Sticky Note Marketing Show. I am your host, Mary Zarnecki, and today I am so excited to bring you my next special guest here. I have Mike Maynard here with me today. He is the CEO of the Napier Group, and for all of you B2B businesses out there, this is the podcast for you, because we are going to be talking about the secrets of the big B2B and tech companies out there that Mike's been working with and sharing some of those behind the scenes ninja tricks and secrets with you today. So welcome, Mike, to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Mary. It's great. Well, I know that some folks out there might be familiar with you, but for those who aren't familiar with your work, would you mind just giving a little bit of an introduction to the kind of work you're doing at the Napier Group? Yeah, absolutely. So we're an integrated agency, which means that we do all sorts of different marketing activities, pull them together into campaigns. And we work with B2B technology clients. So typically larger companies rather than smaller companies rather than startups. And that's basically people selling something technical to a technical decision maker who are going to buy those products based on technical reasons. So it's it's all about quite a lot of fact-driven marketing, actually, which is perhaps not quite so trendy today where everybody wants to talk about, you know, benefits and, and excitement. But actually, a lot of our audience also needs data as well to make decisions. I love that because, I mean, a lot of the folks I work with, yes, we we want to focus on the benefits and that long-term emotional connection, but sometimes we just need to know the facts, right? Yeah, so yeah. Tell us a little bit about when you're, you know, starting to work with clients, what are some of the biggest challenges they, they're bumping into with, with this kind of sales process in this kind of environment? I, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, the answer simply is there's no one easy challenge, but what we've seen over the last three years or so with the pandemic and then the subsequent, you know, continuation of hybrid work is that, you know, five years ago, B2B products were fundamentally sold by a salesperson going in to a customer and shaking hands and sitting down face to face and meeting them. And today that's that's much less the case. There's still some face to face saying selling, but it's a much smaller part of the buyer's journey. So a lot more time is spent researching and you know, what some of these analysts call, you know, self-directed research. So basically, the people responsible for choosing products are actually deciding what to read to decide which one product's best or not. And fundamentally, the stuff they're reading is marketing information. So it's actually really exciting because most of our clients are struggling with the fact they don't do enough marketing and they've probably got too much invested in sales because the world's changed. That's so interesting. So a lot of folks out there probably are doing a little bit of catch up. They were misbalanced and where they might have been building that almost educational material in the marketing channel first. Yeah. And I think, you know, people previously, they they could actually do a lot of that education by bringing experts to sit with the customer. And you can still do that, you know, over Zoom or over Teams, but it's actually not quite the same. It's not quite the same experience. And also, it's not as fun for the customer, I'm going to be honest. And so the customers are tending to do less of those meetings, those virtual meetings, than they were doing face-to-face. And so companies that had invested in their sales team providing things like education and context are now finding that they need to move some of that activity, not all of it, but some of that activity into marketing and, and really put more emphasis on marketing than they have done before. Very interesting. So when you're thinking about what you're seeing work. So in terms of some of those marketing elements that are working for for your clients and the folks that you're working with, what are some of those tools or or mechanisms that you're seeing actually make an impact? Well, that's a great question. I think one of the things that's really important is that 
the big B2B companies don't necessarily have massive advantages. Because I can tell you, a lot of those big B2B companies are saying, well, I wish we were more agile and flexible and perhaps less restricted in what we can do and much more like a smaller company. So I think although the big B2B companies do very well, they actually have you know some issues they have to face as well. So for small companies, it's about grabbing the good ideas. And to me, you know, what I see big companies doing really well is marketing strategy and thinking through processes. And they spend a lot more time thinking about the strategy than smaller companies do. And so smaller companies tend to rush into execution. And I think getting that strategy right really makes a difference. And there's some things you can do to really get the strategy right in B2B. What do you think the the biggest mistake that the smaller organizations are make the maybe the SMBs with the strategy? What are they missing? Um, so typically, I think when you look at B2B, they're not actually thinking through who's making the decision about who buys a product. And and the classic thing is, is that in, in consumer, it tends to be a person making a decision, actually tends to be a female in almost all purchases. But in B2B, it tends to be a group of people. Now, that's called the buying committee in the States. It's called the decision making unit over in the UK. But there's a group of people. And I think what happens is a lot of smaller businesses, they feel like they're they're kind of under-resourced and they focus on, you know, the person they think is the main decision maker. But actually, you've got to try and influence everybody who's involved in that decision, whether that's somebody in charge of finance who's responsible for the budget, or, you know, maybe it's people who are going to use the product as well as the people who are going to decide. And to me, understanding that that group of people is really important. And I see a lot of small companies just rushing in and going, you know, this is the guy that gives us the purchase order. This is the guy we're going to talk to. And and that's often not enough. That's so interesting. I mean, I think it's a good point. Is it is some of that coming from the fact that it does take a lot to figure out, okay, if we have this committee, if we have multiple stakeholders, each of them has their own kind of benefit messaging, right? The connection that we have to make with them, the understanding of what's in it for them, like why should they care? Is it is it coming a bit from that, that they just don't take the time to think about all of the needs of the group? I, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I, I mean, there's two, I mean, super simple tools, certainly in concept that, that big companies use a lot. And one is the buyer's journey, the concept of the steps people take to, you know, go through the process of choosing a product and buying it. Um, and that's really, really important. And then the other thing that a lot of big companies use is persona definitions. And so they will decide, you know, we've got this group of people and we've got, you know, a certain group that are like this. It could be one person, it could be multiple. And all they care about is performance of the product because they're users. They're not responsible for the budget. You know, maybe they just care about the product and how how good it is. You know, perhaps there's some other users who just care about how easy it is to use because they actually don't want really to use it. And so the easiest, the, the less disruption, the better. And then you might have a financial decision maker who cares about, you know, initial upfront costs, but also return on investment. And so you get these different groups and they they want very different messages, as you said. And big B2B companies, they're really good at identifying multiple personas and then doing separate marketing campaigns to those personas. So if maybe a leader in a small to medium-sized business is hearing this and saying, oh yeah, we have only been focusing on one core stakeholder, I now really should start developing these other personas. What's the first thing that they can do if they, you know, if they don't have a lot of research, if they don't have a lot of experience developing that persona where would they even start well and this can be quite scary for some marketing people but actually talking to salespeople is a real superpower 
because the salespeople probably know. I mean, they may not have thought it through in the same way, but you can go to a salesperson. You can say, well, you know, who's making the decision? Who's influencing it? Who controls the budget? And you can very easily get three or four people that are really the key people in that decision-making unit. And then you can build a persona around them. And then you can work out, you know, really what they care about and what you need to say to them. And and normally it's fairly straightforward. I mean, the, the personas can become a little bit of a caricature. You know, the finance person only cares about money. And, you know, actually, actually it's not true. You know, the finance person, if he's signing that off, actually cares about not signing off something that's going to blow up and cause him to lose his job. So there, there are other things as well. But, you know, obviously you need that financial, that ROI message. You might need the the benefits, the ease of use message, you know. And so building those personas really helps you identify campaigns. And I think it's, you know, it, it, it's like shooting at a target. And, you know, if I was to take a bow and arrow and shoot at a target, I'm not going to hit the bullseye, you know, which might be your perfect persona, your ideal persona. But if I aim at the ideal persona, I'm going to be a lot closer than if I aim at something that's not ideal. So um, definitely, I think creating these personas really, really helps like focus down your marketing activities, but also helps you target, you know, different concerns and different issues. I love that. I love that. So for all of you guys listening, hopefully you have your sticky notes out. You are taking notes, right? Personas, number one tool that we're putting in your toolkit today. You also mentioned the buyer journey. So are you you know, seeing success when people actually develop the persona, but then really dig in then to figure out, okay, well, how does this person or this persona go through this process? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the personas and the buyer journeys are slightly different. So with personas, you quite often look at pain points. So what's the problem that, that you're going to solve for somebody? And that problem will be different for different people involved in that decision. You know, the person using it has a very different pain point to the person signing off the budget. Mm-hmm. You might also look at, you know, what what they care about, what motivates them. And and in business, typically, you know, you can change that question to be what would make them look really good in their boss's eyes? You know, mm-hmm. if they did something, you know, what would it be that their boss goes, that was an awesome job? You know, you did really well. And, and that's that's quite generic. When you look at the buyer's journey, it's much more the step by step process that people take. And quite often, you know, companies will shortcut and they'll just build the buyer's journey for that main persona mm-hmm. uh, because actually other people come along on the way and they might be involved in that buyer's journey. So the buyer's journey is interesting because in some ways it's very similar to the sales funnel. And you, you, the classic sales funnel is, is, you know, sort of awareness, interest, desire, action. And and if I'm, you know, walking around a store and I see a new chocolate bar, I'm like, hey, I've not seen that chocolate bar before. You know, that that's interesting. Oh, I really fancy chocolate today. Pull it off the shelf. We're done, you know. And that 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 sales funnel works really, really fast. In B2B, it doesn't work like that. You have very long sales cycles and you have almost artificial stages where people have to come to meetings and present reports and analysis to justify purchases and put things in budgets. Um, and so that sales process is slow. And, and it's not a case of, you know, going from interest to desire, because actually, you know, people will, will be interested and they'll say, yeah, I think I want it. And then they'll go, well, actually, I've seen this drawback. So maybe I'm interested, but don't really want it. And so people sort of struggle along that that sales journey. And during that journey, they'll get influenced by a lot of things. And it might be your marketing activities. It might be your sales team. But it can also be other people in that decision making unit that are saying different things, you know. Uh, we're not doing so well this year. Budget is much more important than it was last year. It could be a, a great example of where the finance person, you know, puts pressure on the decision maker. So 
trying to understand that buyer's journey is is really important because you can then look at the points at which the buyer might go, do you know what? I don't want your widget. I want to go to somewhere else and buy someone else's widget. And then the marketing can target those really crucial stages. And so that that's a really important bit about the buyer's journey because, you know, the personas tells you who, the buyer's journey tells you when. I love that. So buyers, we need to understand where they are along the journey at any given point and where those, like you're saying that the drop-off points are, right? Where there might be friction or this is where we're seeing mm-hmm. There, there comes in this new doubt, right? Or influence maybe from others in the organization. So if someone does identify one of those points in their buyer's journey, what do you really encourage them to do as the next step? Is it to figure out what specific kind of message or what form of marketing, what kind of medium they need? What's the first step there? That That's a great question. I think the, the answer really summarizes what you're trying to do with personas and you're trying to do with buyer's journey. And that's put yourself into the mind of your customer mm-hmm. and and you know your customer they 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 have their own needs they have their own desires they, they they have their own problems to deal with try and think what they are and when you think about the buyer's journey if you're at this stage where they're making a choice and that choice could head them more towards buying your product or service or more towards buying someone else's think about you know what are they feeling? What are they seeing? And then what would, you know, change their, their point of view or make them more likely to go down the the route to buy your product? Interesting. So one of the things I hear from a lot of people too are questions around, but how do I measure it, right? How do I measure not just the end, right? What well, it's easy to measure the purchase, if the purchase happened or not, but are there certain indicators that you really are seeing be important, especially in the B2B space, for marketers to be measuring to know that they're on the right track? That's a great question. And so at Napier, what we do is we take this buyer's journey and we actually chop it up and we chop it up into micro journeys because, you know, the whole buyer's journey could, you know, with a a B2B sale could be a very long time. So we work with a client that builds baggage handling systems in airports. You know, their sales cycle is in years or tens of years. You know, to buy their product, you've got to build an airport terminal. And you've probably got to build an airport. So, you know, it's really hard to do any measurement from, you know, in terms of sales with, with that client, because it's so long between your action and the result. You've got to chop up that buyer's journey. And to give you a really simple example of a micro journey, if you think about someone coming to your website and you've maybe got a brochure or a data sheet about a product, you know, someone comes to the website, they look at the product. The next action you need to get is for them to download that bit of content, that brochure, the data sheet, that's got the real detailed information. That, that's what you want to get them to do. And so measuring how well you get people to the website and then get them to download that data sheet is a great micro journey to measure. And obviously, you know, people who've who've done digital marketing for a while, they know that just looking at traffic to the website, that that's not really good because you get disinterested traffic. So, you know, think about that little micro journey and what makes that that journey indicate high quality as well as numbers. I love that. So making sure that they're actually downloading information, they're maybe watching videos, they're opening emails. What what do you think about email marketing? Is that as effective in B2B as in B2C? Or is it something that tends to get filtered? Well, it's really interesting, but actually there's quite a lot of humans in B2B. So (laughs) (laughs) pretty much... A lot of stuff that works for B2C in terms of channels will work very Mm -hmm. well with B2B. And actually, B2B is a very email-driven world, even now. 
even companies that, that are into Slack, they're still typically also very email driven. And so what you see, in in my opinion, is you see think channels like email working incredibly well. To um, kind of keep them engaged and, and nurtured. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You can see more challenges with some of the social media platforms, particularly if you're trying to sell something that that I'm going to call, you know, serious or important, you know. So if you're selling something that's super safety critical, then probably some crazy, you know, funky video on Facebook isn't going to work because, I mean, one of our clients, I'd, I'd love this was my quote, but it's one of our clients. And they said, people have got to understand, you know, Marcus has got to understand that people go to Facebook to waste time. <laughs> and so what they should do is respect that and help them do it. And I think it's true of TikTok and other social media channels as well. The people are, are not going there to be educated about complex B2B products. So that's not necessarily a great channel. LinkedIn, different matter. You know, I think there people are going to be educated. And then there are definitely B2B products that do so well on channels like Facebook and Instagram. But they tend to be typically lower involvement and channel and products that lend themselves more to a bit of fun. So maybe products are not quite so mission critical. That's fantastic. So I'm hearing you definitely say, if you're thinking about showing up on these platforms, understand why people are there, first and foremost. And then also, is it really in, in line with your brand, right? Your brand character, your brand essence, like how your brand really is wanting to show up. So that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if you're on TikTok, you don't <laughs> want your CEO sat you know, down doing a very formal company presentation. That's not TikTok. If, if your CEO is, is you know, very animated and shouty like Gary Vee, then go for TikTok. That, that's great. But most B2B companies are, are kind of conservative in what they do. And so they won't fit with that kind of medium. So look at what you're going to do and, 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 you know, what you're allowed to do, basically, and then look at where that would fit the best. Oh, I love that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for sharing these inside perspectives. Hopefully everyone wrote down, definitely we need to be developing those personas we need to be looking at our buyer's journey and then making sure we're showing up in the right way so it matches what we actually want to create the kind of experience with, with those specific audiences, with those specific personas. Any final parting thoughts, advice for our audience here today, Mike? I, I think, you know, and I'm going to talk particularly for the smaller people working in smaller companies out there because this is really trying to take some of the ideas from bigger companies and, mm-hmm. and help people in, in you know, startups and scale-ups and, and those really exciting companies. I think don't be intimidated. I think, you know, it, it's really easy to look at the resources that big companies have and think it's it's impossible to compete. But you've got a lot of opportunity to compete. You're a lot more flexible. Often you can be more creative. You've got less restrictive style guidelines. So, you know, I'd love to see lots of creativity coming out of these small and mid-sized companies because that's where I think a lot of the creativity comes from in B2B. And I, t- I totally agree with you. I mean, I work with very large enterprise level organizations, global organizations, and very small. And it's so funny too, because I think you said this earlier, when I'm working with the large organizations, they're wishing for the personalization and the speed and the less red tape. And then, you know, on the other side, people are saying, oh, well, we can't compete with those kind of budgets. So it's almost what I'm hearing you say is embrace the benefits that you have. And really the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah. And I think big companies as well, you know, often they can have a little bit more fun, you know, and often we see in, in very large enterprises, people won't do things, not because they're told they can't, but because they feel they will be told they can't. Mm. And sometimes I think when those big companies push the boundaries, 
they do amazing work as well. So, you know, it, it's not that they're constrained. I think sometimes there's just a nervousness to be adventurous. Interesting. No, I think that's a really good point. But for all of those startups and scrappy entrepreneurs out there, small to medium-sized businesses, take advantage of potentially that flexibility, that speed, and fail forward. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. For all of you guys listening here today, if Mike said anything that resonated with you and you want to follow up, we'll definitely be including his links and contact information here with this episode. What is the best platform if someone wants to go look you up right now, Mike? What's the best place to connect with you online? Well, so so being in B2B, you know, I'm obviously on LinkedIn. That's the easiest place to go. But honestly, you know, if people are, are interested, they've got questions, they can just email me. They can probably guess my email address, but I'll tell you it's Mike, napierb2b.com. That's N-A-P-I-E-R-B, the number two, the letter B again, and then .com. So they're welcome to email me. Fantastic. And again, if anyone's listening, we'll make sure to put those links in the the notes that accompany this episode, wherever it is you're watching or listening. And thanks again, Mike, for joining us. Appreciate having you on the on the podcast here today. Thanks very much for having me as a guest. It's been a great conversation. Fantastic. All right. Well, stay tuned. We've got even more guest experts coming up here in our series on Sticky Note Marketing. I will see you on the next episode. Have a great day.